Welcome to Black Siders, the no-holds-barred conversation about news and current affairs that we feel like talking about. I'm Gemma McKinnon. And I'm Peter McGillivray. What's good, Petey? What's been happening? Well, I have some um, New Year's goals that I'm actually going to carry on from January into February. What a miracle. I know. I'm really, you know, I people can be really anti-goals, um, but I read that yeah, book. Yeah, anti-goals. <laughs> Anti-progress. Anti-ambition. <laughs> um, but one of my goals is to put down manic ambition and pick up some more just really practical, tangible um, little goals. Love and it. one of them is making my health condition a priority this year, um, which is an ailment known as not doing enough physical activity. Oh, um, I hate that ailment. So I am been doing my daily walks, getting the five kilometre walk in early, um, but I'm getting to that age, gem. I'm 35, I'm turning 36 this year, and the knees are starting to be really sore, and I have identified the pattern that if I don't walk, I hurt more. So I'm, I've just got to get it done. See, I have the opposite problem. The more I walk, the more I hurt slash don't like it. <laughs> So tend to try to avoid that sort of activity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the thing that we want to talk about today um, really goes to some of these goals and the things that we are trying to pursue in the name of progress, in the name of personal improvement, self-improvement. But what are the drivers of that? Where does that come from? And for us as women, as Aboriginal women, um, as career women... Modern. Modern, the modern <laughs> woman. Um, you know, where does feminism fit in all of that? I, um, uh, so speaking of, I have joined a local community group. I'm trying to be more active in my local community, more of a participant um, and then a mere resident and went to this meeting, which was uh, held in a little dining room in Katoomba and, and and at the meeting I was, let's just say I was the youngest person by about 30 years. Wow. Um, and the only person that wasn't white and white-haired. Lovely, lovely people sat down um, next to this man who had been a member of this group for a really long time and he'd asked where I'd come from and I told him about this course uh, for women that I did at the end of last year and he said, oh, would you call yourself a feminist? And I, I look, I stumbled, <laughs> I stumbled a little bit because I wasn't actually sure how to answer that question. And then it's been plaguing me, frankly, since then. Every time I uh, clean up after my, my sons, of which I have four, so there's a lot of cleaning up to do. Uh, every time I do something for my husband, I'm like, should I be doing this? What is happening? And that is what we're going to, we're going to tackle this issue today, resolve it once and for all. As is Gemma a bad feminist for parenting her children? <laughs> what makes you a bad feminist? Mm. So, I first, I, I don't know 
in which order we should do this, but I'm just going to jump in because I tend to, whenever I have this conversation with myself, often in the car, wonder, have this circular argument because I want to ask the question, can you actually be a bad feminist? I think you can. I think you can be a bad feminist in the way that I am a bad feminist often, um, but also in the way that we, I think, have a responsibility as women who have an understanding of the structural drivers of what keeps a lot of women back or homeless, unable to get the help they need for them and their children, that we do need to call out stuff um, with that knowledge, especially by other women who should be advocating and pushing for what we need. We're talking about the the no punching down rule. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a good rule. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know why. I'm too empathetic. It's a, I know that's a, what is it, backhanded compliment <laughs> of myself. But there's also a part of me that's always like, well, feminism is about people saying what they want to say, taking up space, you know, living their best lives. Now that I'm getting a bit older, I've discovered a new type of bad feminism, I think, which is uh, older women than me that have worked really hard to find their space in the workplace, in institutions, to rise to the uh, top, to be competitive, to be seen as leaders, um, and just pull up the ladder behind them. <laughs> um, and it's the platform is only ever allowed to be as big as, you know, who they determine to be on it. It's a real Jack and Rose on the door situation, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> And there might be some room, but let's pretend there isn't. And this kind of, um, I suppose, criticism of young women who have the audacity to make the choices that they now have because of feminism uh, and being criticised for that, I just think that's, you know, particularly around the... Uh, I mean, there's so many examples, and I hope we can we can unpick some of them. But that's I, a new phenomenon abs- that I'm just like, wow. Absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, I see it occurring more in uh, minority communities than you see it happening in broader society. I think that scarcity mindset of there's only so many opportunities for black women, for queer women uh, to you know, to to get their faces out there, to get their voices out there, to be successful, that that then creates a even more toxic environment in 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 communities where I feel like we should be trying as hard as possible to stand up for the sisterhood. I and I mean, on your point about the you know the the scarce opportunities for women and then the hyper competitiveness around that. I mean, there are political parties that are suffering this exact same problem. So you know, I do think that it's more a, a universal experience that women. I think it's very visible in certain communities and in certain um, you know groups, but it, it's a structural problem as always. So, you're listening to Blacksiders on 2SER with Jem and Pete, or Pete and Jem, depending on what day <laughs> what day it is and how we're feeling. Pete, what do you do 
what things in your life make you question, are you a bad feminist? Look, I think the I am have a lot of auntie energy. I, as you know, I'm a child-free person. I don't have my own children. I have, I feel like I face that internal monologue constantly around that choice. And it is a choice that I have because of feminism. Mm. Um, I don't feel oppressed at all in the, my, my making those choices. But sometimes as a child-free person, I do, got, my critical mind can be a bit judgy. <laughs> of um, women and their kids. And I think it's, look, it's that's a huge <laughs> confession to make. I think you need to be more specific. <laughs> it's the, it's the classic, it's the classic kids running around the restaurant. <laughs> it's, I just, I'm all for being able to take your kids to the restaurant, but you know, the, the running around, the noise, the like... Control having, your child. Control your child. <laughs> that, that's it. I think that's where I'm just like, oh. I, and then I have to think about... Usually, usually I, I reserve... I don't judge the mum who's there and it's probably their time away and they didn't have any choice and they've got to take their kids. Um, but there are some times when I just... The, I'm looking for the thing that helps me maybe empathise with mum and I can't. I can't see it and I just want to, you know, there have been occasions of walking into the cafe and turning out, turning around and walking right out again. Too many kids. I do that too and I have many, many kids. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's necessarily, a, you know, don't feel bad, don't feel like it's because you're a child-free person. Um, I think many, many of us are guilty of that judgment. Um yeah, can't, can't, I'm definitely a turnaround at the, at the door kind of person when it comes to that. I think probably my biggest, the, the thing that plagues me a lot when it comes to whether or not I'm a bad feminist is when it comes to plastic surgery, mm-hmm. I... I don't, I have these circular conversations in my head. I get really, really heated up about it with myself. I, I don't understand people's need to change their appearance. I'm not even talking about, I'm not talking, you know, Michael Jackson level plastic surgery. Um, I'm talking filler. I'm talking about fillers. I'm talking about BBLs. I'm talking, I think, particularly about um, cosmetic trends that tend to, I'll just say it, make white people look a bit more like black people. Yeah. Um, That tend to now, you know, because it's in fashion, uh, give people traits that you and I may have been made fun of uh, for having when we were kids, that I, I just have an issue with the fact that a lot of the time when I'm looking around a club, a bar, on Instagram, at a store, or any kind of retail store, let's be honest, that I can't really tell people apart because they've all had the exact same cosmetic procedures done. It's like we're and just we're copy and pasting people erasing, into society. Erasing our, like your, 
individual individuality. (laughs) (laughs) What makes people unique and... And I, so I feel like that comes from a, you know, a feminist feeling that why are we pandering to um, the standards set by the, you know, powers that be of the time, but then of course come back around to women should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies and how dare you judge them for wanting Luscious lips. I think that this is just one of those paradoxes of these incredibly powerful ideas, right? That, you know, we can critique Western beauty standards with this dialogue and this discourse that we have in this theory of feminism, um, while we also respect the the agency and the autonomy of women through those exact same rights to then make choices like buying into those Western standards of beauty. I think that this is where we, you know, feminism can't give us everything that we need on its own. We also need to have, you know, the critical race theory, which says that, all right, you know, women are are being asked to spend money investing in this idea, which basically sexualizes black women um, and says that the only thing that is unique and special and worthy is the way that black women look as opposed to anything else. Um, And then there's also the classism and all of it as well and how those ideas help us to say, well, you know, um, who actually gets to participate in this whole economy of uh, changing the way that women look. Uh, it's women with a lot of money who then put a lot of value on that. I mean, and there's time, girl. The, <laughs> the, the beauty routines that I've just given up on due to lack of time. And money. I mean, I always had this business idea that we would kind of like the um, like car insurance but for, for, for beauty procedures where you kind of pay a monthly amount and you can go and get your Botox and get your hair. And um, I, look, it's not a necessarily a great business idea, but th- that, that there is so much money. Shh, somebody's going to steal that idea. <laughs> a man is going to steal that idea, Pete. Well, if they're looking for, you know, the, a business You've partner. said it now. you uh, put it out there. Damn, well, I've got plenty more where that came from. Let <laughs> me just say that. But, yeah, I think, th- you know, there's the, the operation of capitalism in modern-day feminism. A, yeah. Do you think that we – I mean, I, I, I feel like there's about a few topics, which I'm sure we'll come to over the, the weeks and months, but do you think that part of the – difficulty in or why we're not sort of having these conversations is it because it is one of those topics where you don't want to talk about it because you're probably going to offend your mum, your sister, your best friend. Like I, I feel like it's one of those topics that we don't have conversations about mm. because it is inherently personal and I guess, and we'll we'll maybe come back to this, but people are quite thin-skinned, you know? Nobody, and and everybody is the star of their own reality TV show in their head. Mm. So, you know, if somebody says, oh, you know, I'm very anti-boob job. Yeah. Um, that then anybody with a boob job might be, she's, you know, that they feel, feel personally targeted and so we don't have these conversations because we're so careful about, you know, about, you know, 
being considerate of other people's feelings. Well, I think but does that then damage the potential for, you know, having conversations that might encourage us as a community to push back against some of these well, I think we it, the avoiding of a conversation, which is, oh, that's okay. So you get Botox? Why? Why did you? Why did you? Not in a kind of you know interrogation way, but just in an open, curious, judgment-free conversation about why people make the choices that they do for themselves. Perhaps not necessarily thinking about the ramifications or the implications of those choices for their children or other young people who kind of you know normalize that type of cosmetic procedure. Um, and being able to kind of better understand people's motivations and where that comes from. So I think, you know, I think about some of the people that I know that um, get Botox and filler and they are very firm and clear in their understanding. I don't think that there's anyone that's saying, oh, you know, Kim Kid- I want to look like Kim Kardashian. I've never had that conversation with somebody <laughs> yet. Um, but I think that the normalisation of these procedures, I think historically if you could go back and look at maybe other types of um kind of physical what what do they call them the body modifications yeah. is is plastic surgery just another version of body modifications such as piercings or tattoos or changing the color of your hair what's what's different about these types of things which warrant greater scrutiny or or more attention and that's why i want to have the conversation right because i've I do think about this a lot. I probably thought about it, you know, way more than I should be. But I think, and I know that I'm generalizing a lot here, but I think that these, uh, a, a, a lot of the time, the people's need for these sorts of body modifications, you know, at the end of the day, whittle down to issues of self-esteem and not feeling good enough and, um, and not feeling worthy of, of of interest from other people, not feeling worthy of success in the workplace, all of these sorts of things. I feel like if we don't enable us to have these conversations, then people aren't actually addressing the root causes. And we don't get to have the practice of having conversations in a respectful way that actually respects someone's agency, their ability to make those decisions for themselves. I think that's the thing that we really lack now is just any capacity or knowledge to be able to have sensitive conversations in ways which are respectful and don't cause harm. And that's going to be a really important one because these types of procedures are so readily available now and there are real health and safety concerns. I mean, they can be really dangerous as medical procedures. And, you know, there's been lots of work that's been done in the piercings world. I, I have lots of piercings. I'm a big fan of piercings as a type of body modification. And I'm really aware of the regulatory uh, frameworks and processes that keep people safe. I just wonder, you know, as these types of other cosmetic procedures become more normalised and accessible, particularly for young people, they're incredibly young um, men and women who are getting cosmetic modifications now, and I just think, oh my gosh, that seems quite dangerous. So what? What's you know? Until we can have the conversations, um, it's only going to become more of a challenge. We also, I think, uh, you know, a lot of things are much more permanent uh, <laughs> these days, and especially I think when you're talking about things that are 
trends, essentially, you know, even us in our relatively short lives have seen these trends come and go. If you're then permanently modifying your body to fit with a trend that is, you know, those of us who lived through the 90s know the horror of going from the pencil-thin eyebrow to the <laughs> thick eyebrow, you know. You can't always go back. I'm so glad my eyebrows grew back. I'm so glad. <laughs> I love my eyebrows now. And that's the other thing. I love them now. When I was in year 10 Same. and I just wanted my eyebrows to be thin and I didn't love them as much. But I still remember when I tried to do a sneaky shave of my eyebrows in primary school and how horrified my mother was. Well, I, so when I was in, uh, when I was little, I had, um, you know, I am um, brown girl, brown hair, big bushy eyebrows. I had a moustache and my mum, big monobrow, and my mum wouldn't let me, I was in year 10, wouldn't let me tweeze my eyebrows, wax my eyebrows, wax my little moustache that I had very prominent hair. And I used to get teased mercilessly for it, teased really badly. And my mum said, well, I'm not saying yes to you being allowed to wax your eyebrows. So I had a very firm, you are not changing the way that you look. And I appealed like any good budding young lawyer, emerging lawyer, appealed. She took it to the Court of Appeal. I took it to the... The full bench. The, the Elders' Council. <laughs> so I proposed to my mum that she bring together my aunts and my nan to deliberate on the question. Oh, my God. The full bench. The full bench of the matriarchs of our family wrote out a little letter explaining my arguments. Um, and, of course, they said, yes, they- Yes, Peter can get her eyebrows waxed and can wax her um, little moustache. And so that was my first experience of uh, being, I suppose, kind of peer pressured around how I how I looked um, and my mum taking it very seriously, the decision of whether or not to kind of, you know, um, cave in to that pressure, trying to teach me a lesson about you're you, you don't have to, you know, just because they're teasing you about doesn't mean that you should change the way that you look for them. Um, but me <laughs> saying, no, 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 this is really important to me. I want to be able to feel good about myself and not have, you know, this little so-and-so, so-and-so <laughs> in geography teasing me. But yeah. And not, the aunties. And the aunties, the aunties came in to back for me. You are listening to Blacksiders on 2SER with Gem and Pete. And today we are talking about whether or not we're bad feminists. Let's turn to the socials as we like to do. Instagram. I am still an Instagram person. I don't know what that says about my, probably says what, millennial-ish. We're millennials. Yeah, Elder millennial. Millennial elder. I don't think I'm quite a millennial elder. No, not not you. You're creeping close. Yeah. (laughs) Is Instagram bad for feminism? Okay. So I found myself on Homestead Instagram. What is? Homestead Instagram, which is, or Cottagecore. Have you heard of Cottagecore? (laughs) No. So this is the part of the internet that's trying to romanticise and revitalise um, homestead life, so or cottage lifestyle. So being at home, pickling, making your own bread, tending to your garden, um, you know, washing your cloth nappies, um, really leaning into that kind of old way of living and, you know, doing that day in the life of a stay-at-home mum, you know, 
that's that's kind of homestead Instagram. Wowzers. And I found myself on uh, like a feed of somebody who was making these little videos talking about, I make sure that I have dinner on by 4pm so that when my husband gets home at 5.30, we can all sit down and have dinner at 6. And it felt like a time warp. I just... I couldn't qu- – I thought it was satire at first. I thought it was a joke and then realised, no, 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 this is really serious. This is somebody who is gone full retro, maybe not realising the irony of it all. <laughs> and so that – you know, talking about bad feminist, I was like, well, why am I judging this? And I think it's because it's been done so uncritically and the idea that, you know, someone can make that video and make all of those choices because of feminism. But there was this air of like kind of protest around it, like the need to document it was because there was some kind of attack on their ability to to be at home and be with their kids and make their husband dinner. I was just like, I don't understand what the creation of this artifact is for. And that's when I realised that Instagram is just... And I quickly quickly went to my full me page to find other things that I can relate to. I, you know, I, I know that I'm I'm not very good at using Instagram. I, you've given me many a, a tutorial on what I'm supposed to be doing. But I think that back in my day, back in the olden days, the only access or, you know, the only sort of visuals you had of how, you know, people outside of your inner circle look the only way that we sort of we aspired to be um people in magazines people in movies and as a regular as a normie as a regular person that was all sort of very out of reach and you'd kind of you know do your best kind of Kmart version of of what you saw in magazines but now because of Instagram it's sort of and and coupled with the accessibility of lifestyles once only reserved for the rich and famous. We I, I find that it's not necessarily that you're you don't feel like you're shooting for something that's unattainable. It's almost normalizes it normalizes perfection in this really trite fake way <laughs> that I yeah. that I can't stand. But on the flip side of that, most of my Instagram feed is filled with uh am I I'm, I wanted to try and use a a shortened um bod pause. Is that oh, a yeah. thing? Yep. yep. Body positivity. positivity. Yep. Um you know, a lot of a lot of fat women embracing, you know, being fat and celebrating um and celebrating just being who you are. I, there's, you know, positivity to that, but I think it's also done in a way that is not real. Even those trying to be real, I think, are in their own weird way creating a, a standard or an expectation yeah. um, of, so even if you're not 
magazine looking, you have to be at least Instagram looking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the problem that I have around a lot of the body positivity as a size 16 woman, um, the the body positivity around being proud to be fat. Um, you, you can only do that if you are also holidaying in Europe or buying all of your clothes from, you know, the handful of designer outlets that actually sell clothes for your body. I mean, there's all of these other kind of um, requirements in being body positive that's not actually just being able to live your life and not apologise for it and not value or, you know, be aspirational about the things which make the lifestyle, in air quotes, You also have to be really good at accessorising, I think, to be a successful fat woman. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I just can't be bothered. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So I've failed in that in that space. I mean, you can't even just on if we if, can we just turn this into a bit of a rant about accessible clothes sizing though. One of my things is that you can't go into a secondhand store anymore and find bigger size clothes because well in certain parts of the city anyway in the in Sydney because everything's getting shopped out cuz the baggy trend is in. So you, you <laughs> You can't get any bigger clothes. Then people, keep your hands off our clothes. <laughs> Truly, though. Actually, <laughs> can you just leave some stuff on the racks? God. Anyway. The baggy it. trend. The baggy trend. The scourge yeah. of the fat community. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cosy lives trying to, you know, not just always be buying new things. All right. Because he lives. I've, can I just say I love that? And I've never heard it before. I'm going to try and integrate it into my into my daily vocab. Gemma, can I ask you, who is your um, – do you have a go-to bad feminist icon or somebody who in your mind um, is just like, oh, they're such a bad feminist? Oh, my God. I mean, I have one. You know, yeah, you go because I have to think there's so many. There's so many. <laughs> Um, Tina Fey, who, um, is anti-sex workers. And I just think that if you, in 2024, um, and look, I don't, I haven't researched to see whether Tina Fey has updated, um, her public opinion about this, but she was known for being anti-sex worker in her television writing, um, made a lot of jokes about sex workers. Um, and I just think in 2024, anyone who is you know, still discriminating against sex workers just needs a deep, hard look at themselves. I think, um, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be brave. Hashtag brave. Is people that criticise parents. <laughs> like, like, I don't know, people who get really upset about people bringing their kids to cafes. Nah. <laughs> I think, you know, and I think it's great that people are embracing their right to be childless, but it sometimes, as things tend to do, go, sorry, child free. (laughs) I'm sure there's a difference there that I'm not going to go into right now, but as things tend to do, go, you know, just, you know. A little too far where essentially you're being criticised for having children and they're so bad for the environment or, you know, it's that the lifestyle of a, the, of a family is so uncool. 
Um, I mean, maybe I am uncool. I don't know. We definitely know. have to do an episode of this then. I've been, I feel judged a little bit for, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel judged for maybe having a larger carbon footprint than I should due to my procreation. I mean, I just find that argument ludicrous that we're people who, um, you know, saying I'm not having children because of climate change. I mean, how can you say to humans, stop doing the thing that you've been doing stop forever? Living. Like, yeah. stop. Like, stop. I just, I just think it's such a strange argument to make because there are far more I think let's definitely come back to this one yeah you are listening to Blacksiders on 2SER with Gem and Pete we've just had the most stimulating conversation about feminism let's finish up with our thumbs up thumbs down for the week Pete what you got for me? Um, my thumbs up is um, there is a hill a famous hill uh, in Sydney Park you might know it from being very puffed by the time that you get to the top of it. The one with the sculpture on the top? Yeah. Yes. So um, my thumbs up is like trying to do a, a bit of a trot up that hill. I'm going to – It's gonna, it'll be more of a shuffle. But I'm trying – I'm thumbs upping it because I want to get excited You're about – Getting moving. This, yeah, this personal goal to get moving. Yep. What's I'll, your th- I'll wave to you from the bottom. <laughs> Uh, what's your thumbs up? My thumbs up is um, those wine delivery services oh. um, that bring the bring the the winemaker to you. Uh, I am I haven't stepped foot in a Dan not uh, in a shop. <laughs> I haven't I haven't stepped foot in a liquor store in some time uh, and I'm really enjoying the variety of trying out different wines. I'd become quite snobbish mm. and pigeonholed in my wine exploration and I like getting these little mixed bags delivered to my door. So you're so, broadening, broadening your horizons. Yeah. I feel like my thumbs up is a complete opposite to yours, but mm-hmm. that's... That's okay. That's fine. Feminists. Feminism. <laughs> thumbs down. Um, thumbs down is, um, you know, you talked about your community meeting that you attended. There is a quite a well-known community group in my neighbourhood that is mobilising a bit against the young people in our area. So we, we have a basketball court that's been built um, that was operating, so you had access to it until about 9pm at night. But this little community group is really anti-kids being out and about making noise that late. So they have Playing lobbied, sports. successfully lobbied the <laughs> lobbied the council to shorten the time. So now you've got to be done and out of the court by 7 o'clock. Oh, that's mean. I think so. Also because um, there is a new youth group that's just opened. We live in the inner city and so youth groups and youth facilities, the youths, young the people, youth. um, that helps young people stay connected, build that sense of belonging with their neighbourhood community, really positive and this is the group that's going to suffer the most by this change. Anyway, thumbs down for me. I just think we need to be doing a lot more that's supporting access to public space for yeah, young boo. people. Yeah, boo. Thumbs down for me. I actually don't have one. 
I don't have a thumbs down. Good for you. I'm quite, I'm feeling quite, you know, positive, happy about things currently. Maybe it's because I haven't been reading the news. That could be it. (laughs) Don't worry, something will come up. (laughs) You'll have plenty to thumbs down at some point. Thanks for listening to Blacksiders. We will talk to you next week. See you, Gem, later. Bye.